Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host Jerry Gibson here in the UAE where it's really heating up. We're uh, up over 40 degrees, 45 degrees uh, Celsius uh, and humid uh, as ever here. It's a, it's a tough one out there but uh, we battle through it. Uh, won't be able to make it home to Canada this summer I'm afraid. Uh, things are uh, you know going quite slowly there in terms of the, the, the proto calls and uh, travel restrictions uh, you can't even travel from Toronto to Nova Scotia let alone uh, uh, Dubai to uh, to Nova Scotia so it'd probably be easier to fly my parents over here but uh, for the summer uh, that's a non-starter that one uh, anyways today episode 195 really looking uh, forward I was really looking forward to this one uh, Sabrina Sobe uh, one half of the Sobe sisters uh, Amanda uh, who was on the podcast maybe about a year and a half or so ago uh, and her sister uh, Sabrina who's now number 21 uh, in the world uh, she dropped a spot in the rankings but still impressive one of four Americans in the top 25 and uh, she has had uh, an illustrious uh, four-year standout career uh, as a student athlete at Harvard uh, where she played under Mike Way and we had a tremendous chat uh, we talk about uh, the Sobe squash uh, family and what uh, what that entails how that all started and uh, the backstory there her years at Harvard under Mike Way which uh, you know had a tr- really uh, huge impact on her uh, as a player as a person and I think uh, I think and um, turning pro uh, after that it wasn't a foregone conclusion for her we talk about that and we get into a bit uh, uh, we, she discusses that debate that came up uh, sort of in the middle of last uh, I think it was this time last year turning pro straight out of juniors or taking the uh, student athlete uh, route and uh, she gives her side of, uh, of that uh, debate and also sort of you know it's quite uh, eloquently uh, spoken the way that she lays it all out so uh, there's that and then also uh, where the, her nickname Beans comes from uh, I had to ask her that I know it wasn't the PSA Squash TV guys who gave her that one uh, that stems from uh, from a family and then it's sort of uh, it evolved after that but uh, really tremendous chat with Sabrina Sobe here on episode 195 of the In Squash podcast enjoy hi Sabrina hi there how are you I'm fine. How are you? Sorry, uh, I just got in the door. So, uh, anyway, Sabrina, really uh, appreciate your time today, and I've uh, been looking, I've uh, been meaning to reach out to you for a while. I've, uh, I don't know if you know about uh, the podcast, but I've actually spoken to uh, to Amanda a, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. She was on, so uh, nice. obviously, uh, looking forward to speaking with you as well. Yeah, I am too. I'm glad we were able to make this work. Sorry about the confusion earlier yeah i mean uh, you obviously you've got a busy uh, schedule and uh, you know i also this isn't my uh, my day job so uh, <laughs> i've got a, I've got a <laughs> schedule i'm also living in uh, in the middle east so i live in uh, in dubai so yeah i saw some arabic on like your email page and i was like okay yeah interesting yeah <laughs> you, you you must you know a little bit of arabic i, I would imagine a little bit yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, uh, so how's everything? Uh, how's everything with you and your family? You're, you guys are there, and I guess you're in Philadelphia, right? Right now. Yep, um, I'm in Philadelphia with my brother and my sister, actually. Okay. 
And how, how's everything going there? Is uh, you know life uh, sort of trying to get back to, to normal? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, much more than previously. So that's good. Like starting, most people I know are vaccinated and um, masks are getting like to be the, not the norm anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You gotta you gotta exercise a bit of uh, common sense. Uh, otherwise, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, that's the same thing here. Uh, uh, they've done a good job getting people vaccinated and, and you know letting people know uh, you know tr really trying to push that. But uh, you know, north of the border there, where I come from uh, in Canada, things are slightly uh, a bit more chaotic. Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Things no, are I'm, chaotic. Yeah. I'm, yeah, uh, I can't even travel back home again. Uh, it's the second summer in a row. So. Oh no! I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, but the Phillies doing well. How How about the squash? How's the squash going there? I, I, I obviously things are back to normal. So that would mean squash is uh, uh, back to normal, more or less. Yeah, it's been great actually. We have majority of the U.S. players here in Philly, which has been super fun. Um, the center has opened up as of like the end of April, the national center. And that's been really, really fun to have access to that and get the players there all practicing together and really feel like, I don't know, it's, it's a team sport again, which is cool. Yeah. That, that's gotta be great. Uh, is it the, the Drexel uh, facility or nearby there? Or? Yeah, it's nearby the Drexel facility. Okay. And who, who's, uh, I know it was Paul Asciante was uh, involved with the, the national team. Is it uh, someone else now, or are you just doing sort of individual stuff as opposed to? Right now we're just doing individual stuff run by Adam Hamill, who's uh, like our manager at the moment. Okay. Until, yeah, until we get the, another coach come in. Yeah, Philadelphia, I mean, that must be just, I mean, in terms of, uh, I've spoken to a lot of people over the last little while, and they've, they've always been talking, about, you know, even John White, I spoke to him, but just uh, just in terms of how impressive uh, the facilities are, not just that facility, but others in and around uh, Philly, uh, what, what's it like there, the, the squash vibe there now? Is it really sort of a uh, spilling over into the community and uh, is there is, is there uh, like a really sort of positive energy about the game there now? Um, I think so. I, I hope so at least. Like most of the days that I have my squash bag and stuff like that and I'm walking in the streets, most people don't think I'm playing squash still. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's usually some tennis comment or racquetball, like literally anything but squash, um, yeah. despite like the amount of courts there are in that Drexel Penn area. And now with the National Center, it's like something like Penn's new facility has like 15 or so courts. Drexel has like 10 or 12 courts. And now the National Center has like 20 courts. Wow. So, like, there's, wow like, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Like something like, 30, 40 courts in uh, like a mile radius, which is outrageous, but yeah. still like you always are out and about encountering people who have no idea what sport you're playing or what racket that is coming out of your bag, which is always humbling. 
Yeah, it's basically the same old story for squash, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think it it will be like that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. It's just basically just the squash community who knows about these places. It seems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, once the center is more um, out in the open and more ready to go for the public, like they're going to offer memberships and stuff like that. So that could be positive to get the, the sport out of it more. Yeah. Yeah. You see now, uh, now they're really promoting this. Uh, at least I see a lot of it on Instagram every, every day, almost this out the outdoor squash. Episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you played on uh, uh, I guess it just seems to be uh, there, there are a few of these outdoor courts. They seem to be in New York city somewhere, but yeah. uh, have you ever played? I on them? No, I haven't. No. Yeah, it looks like it would be, uh, I mean, something like that, sort of the way that paddle has taken off, paddle and pickleball, uh, the outdoor aspect of it seems to maybe generate a bit more popularity. Uh, yeah, that's of, true. Hmm. Especially during COVID, everyone kind of wants, prefers to be outdoors a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh yeah, if you, if you don't mind, uh, Serena, I'd like to just sort of do a little, little bit of a backstory uh, on you. I mean, obviously, we know the, the Sobe name. Uh, I mean, you're part of that story now, too. But uh, obviously, uh, uh, Amanda uh, came onto the scene, especially the pro scene. But you come from a, a what I'm assuming is a squash family. Uh, I think I remember somewhere, maybe it was through Amanda that your dad played. I know your brother plays, you play. So uh, what were those uh, early years like growing up uh, in that type of uh, family where, where almost everybody in the family uh, plays? Yeah, um, it, was definitely, it was definitely a lot of fun to have everybody in the family play. Uh, you're exactly right. My dad was, had played growing up in Egypt and then he also became our coach and worked as a head pro in the club uh, that we grew up playing at. So it was very much so a huge part of our childhood growing up, our, you know, like everyday lifestyle, stuff like that. Um, so it kind of drip, was like the driving focus for most days and most plans and vacations and stuff like that. Um, I think it was so much fun to have the other siblings play. I know from my early childhood memories of squash, like I would hop on the court with Omar and Amanda and just as the youngest, it was always kind of, I don't know, it was fun to just like also watch Amanda and Omar play a bunch of the times and just kind of sit back and be inspired by their competitiveness and their athleticism in the sport and kind of find that all that own driving factor for myself. Obviously, would go to their tournaments when I was younger, even before playing myself, and then kind of been inspired that way. Yeah. Um, Just wondering, what's what's the? I mean, I should know that my research team didn't do, uh, you know, didn't sort of look into this part. What 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 is the age difference between you and Amanda? It's only like, is it two or three years or? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So it's a bit different. I, I have um, some close friends that I grew up playing squash with and uh, brothers, but they're only a year apart. And and I just remember the, like they would play a lot together and it, it got really, really intense. You know, 
but they're they're only barely a year apart right but uh, you know yeah. with that separation you know, I mean I have a I have daughters uh, uh, four years separating the two of them and they're you know you know they they get along so well and there's a you know that separation of uh, of, of age is you know there wasn't a lot of bickering between the two I'm sure that there, every now and then there are there is but on the squash court uh, how did that play out between you and, uh, and Amanda? To be honest, uh, most of the competitiveness was between my older brother and Amanda. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I think, like, I don't know. I don't know why that was the case. Maybe just personalities or maybe age difference. But I don't know. Omar and Amanda grew up playing a bunch together, and they were – Obviously, Omar doesn't want to lose to his baby sister. Amanda is at the level where she could kind of, like, compete well against him. And she's way more competitive than, than I am as well. Um, and I think as the youngest child, I'm like, like yeah, sure, it would be fun to win. But, like, it's not – I have no pride in, like, I need to win against my siblings. Where I think Amanda and Omar both have that, that mindset a little bit as being the older ones. Um, so, I think – yeah, growing up, like, I was just kind of warped into the the trio of playing squash because of them a little bit. And, of course, our dad, we would go to Egypt every summer, too. So, like, our summers were driven by squash. And it was, it, it was really just, like, a huge, huge factor. My mom is – she doesn't play as much, but she did play in her 20s a bit. And she's just as nuts as the rest of us. Like, That's she, like – whenever she's at tournaments and stuff she's going like <laughs> crazy in the crowds like she very much so loves it despite like not playing as much as everybody else but is equally as involved uh, that sounds amazing that uh now i remember um amanda was saying she used to play uh, some other sports too i think in fact i mean she had she's been riddled with in- injuries as you know uh through the years, I think it was, was it softball or baseball or something? Yeah, it's softball, yeah, she injured herself. Injured herself. Um, now, now, I, maybe it's, be, maybe it's just because you, you haven't had such as high a profile as she's had, but uh, do you, does the does the injury bug uh, run in the family or is that uh, something that um, she... I've been pretty lucky uh, with that, without getting many t- injuries. I actually just am recovering one from from now, uh, right now. But yeah, previous- I was going to say you didn't play uh, El Guna. I was going to ask you about that. Is that yeah, that um, yeah, I was a little bit injured and just kind of coming back from that now. Um, but nothing crazy. My sister has been unfortunate with like injuries that have actually taken her out of working out and athleticism and exercise for quite some time. Um, Fortunately, like I just this this one the injury that I'm dealing with at the moment was just kind of a niggle that I didn't really properly take care of when okay. I should have. Um, right. So that's kind of my situation. But luckily, like knock on wood, I'm still healthy and safe. Otherwise, and still able to work out and exercise. So that's great. Yeah, you got to take care of those when as soon as they sort of a. a sort of surface don't you i've i've had this um plantar fasciitis issue for a long time and i just kept playing through it but now i I did kind of take 
take sort of try to take care of it. And now it's perfectly fine after That's, three years. Yeah, I had that as well a little bit. It's unpleasant. Mm, yeah, I mean, all I did was uh, I, I went out and I got some uh, orthotics and uh, yeah. I wear them when I play squash, when I play other sports. And uh, it made it's just made it completely uh, go away. It, just incredible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Something as simple as orthotics can make a big difference. Yeah, I just found, I mean, do you, are you that type of person just sort of, you have a little niggle and, and you play through it? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. I have a very hard time, like, resting and being idle and not doing much. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there, there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, personally, I'm, I was the same way. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 50s now, so it's a, uh, there, there is something to be said for rest but, uh, and changing your, your routine as you get older. But uh, I stopped, and then I, uh, I stopped kind of doing some hard work, and then I, uh, I started uh, eating uh, and, and, and putting on weight. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said for, you know, keeping the routine, though. Of course, for sure. Um, I mean – athletes are programmed to to strive with a structure and a plan and and of course like we enjoy working out for many reasons other than just keep healthy otherwise we wouldn't really be committing out here doing this sport and this lifestyle but so it's it's definitely a difficult task to be told to rest and to recover and listen to your body when you're when you're kind of like programmed to be outside not even outside just like exercising moving challenging your body pushing when you're a little tired because that's the all that's kind of the basis of training right and then you have to kind of manage also listening to your body in a sense so there's that fine line of like when when is it safe to push and go ahead and do more than what your body feels and when is when do you actually take a step back and kind of rest and recover a little bit, which is kind of what I've been uh, learning and figuring out a bit more this past year and just kind of more with life on tour in general. So when like that, that, that's really, I think there's a lot of gold in what you just said there. I mean, for me, I, uh, just the other day, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I played and I had this really, I was, I was huffing and puffing and this really, I almost felt nauseous, but uh, uh, that, that to me was like, you push harder, that, yeah. that kind of thing. But then if it was a body thing, like if I, you know, felt something, you know, the legs were a little stiff or, you know, the lower back or something issues that I have, uh, then that would be the time when I might want to uh, shut it down for the day. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's a good point. And it's still like, it's trial and error most, most of the times. Um, and a lot of it is kind of, looking at externally as well like how did i sleep did i get enough sleep like mm. have i eaten well in the past couple of days am i hydrated and then based on those answers and those levels like i think that helps determine whether you feel capable of pushing a little bit more than you may think yeah. i think it's important to know that there's a lot more um like that a lot more behind the scenes than you, you really think there is. 
Mm, that, that's a good point. I mean, if you if you know that you've if you haven't slept well and you know you haven't eaten well for some yeah. people, maybe it's not you know not something not something you would normally do, but there were some extenuating uh, circumstances. Would yeah. that be something that you might say, okay, I better kind of hold off a bit here? Or? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the sleeping part is a huge factor. Like, I think I read some fact that like if you get something like six hours or less sleep as an athlete, like you, the risk of injury for during a, ses- a session is like almost double or triple the amount than, of normal. Wow. Just yeah. for, like your body not being well rested. So I, I've been thinking a lot about that and just trying to try and get a consistent sleep schedule. And I know like the weekends are difficult and stuff. So the weekdays are pretty, pretty um, are easier to manage, but it's really like now it's a priority. I know like getting older, you're always trying to get better sleep. Mm. And sleep is gold. Yeah. And I, it really has like opened my eyes to how much, like how gold exactly like how great it is to get proper sleep to get that consistent bedtime Mm. and like enough hours like proper sleep hygiene of like not using your phone or too many electronics prior to bed and sleeping in a cooler environment stuff like that where you may have like kind of brushed past them previously especially yeah. in like youth or in college, like it's, you yeah, don't back really, when you're young, you don't really, the, the, those thoughts don't ever, ever enter into your, yeah, right? your never, mind, either. Yeah. Yeah. You're like watching TV in bed and then turn it off and go to sleep right away and stuff like that. But now it's, it's important and you, and you can see, feel such a difference when you do get that quality sleep not only in performance, but in mood and in efficiency, efficiency. And like, if you, any type of work that you're doing, oh yeah, it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I could camp here. We could talk about this for hours, but I want to, uh, <laughs> I, I want to get back to talking about you. You, uh, you followed uh, Amanda's footsteps, I'm assuming, and had four uh, illustrious uh, years there at, at Harvard where, uh, among many accolades and achievements, you won, uh, I guess, maybe foremost, the uh, the four straight national titles. So um, what was, uh, you know, the student athlete experience uh, like for you uh, at Harvard? Yeah, it was de- definitely super challenging, as most student athletes will admit to. Um, something that you kind of look back on and you're like, wow, I'm really <laughs> kind of pleased and impressed that it, we survived as well as we did because it is so incredibly challenging to balance and find that balance between not only academics and, and sport, but also like that balance in your own body and your mind and like, trying to be your best self in each day. Um, There's so much pressure and expectations and even like personal aspirations and goals that we set for ourselves in that moment for both academics and sport. And I don't know, it's, it's easy to just kind of go day to day and forget to like praise ourselves and kind of take a step back and 
really be in the present moment and appreciative that one, trying to balance these things is a priority and two, that we are figuring out what ways our bodies and minds can work and challenging ourselves at, at a young age where you're like 18 to 22, like, and you're balancing two, two things or like two sports and academics where most people just kind of take on one and commit their entire self to one of those opportunities and then yeah, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but no, I guess. I mean, uh, that, that's really uh, interesting because there was a, and I was gonna, I'm going to bring this up, uh, well, I was going to bring it up later, but there was a huge kind of discussion last year, and you probably caught wind of it on uh, social media. I think, I forget who it was uh, who brought it up, one of the Egyptian. Uh, yeah, I remember players. reading a little bit about that. Yeah, and they, they, there was a debate about you know whether you should just turn pro right out of juniors or or take the college route if you have that opportunity. So, um, sort of, I, I guess you did you did experience uh, some challenges, uh, I would imagine, but you you feel that you're the better for it. Of course, I absolutely do, and I have no regrets. I stand by the fact that most. That, that you should challenge yourself in, in order to balance these two extremely important fields, I think. Um, I absolutely loved getting an education and I loved um, having teammates that were also in the same boat as myself, working and challenging ourselves and each other to do what was important to us, which was get an education, a quality education. And as well as play for a team and a sport that we absolutely love. Um, I think it's an incredible opportunity that um, not everybody is fortunate enough to have, as well as not everybody is believing that they, that that, that is something that they can survive through and kind of, even fathom the idea of balancing two extremes like that. Mm. Well, when you think about it, I mean, you, you're going from, obviously you're going from high school uh, and playing junior squash. The, the stakes are, you know, hardly the same, but still, if you take that to the next step, you're going to be bound. I mean, the, the stakes are higher academically and then maybe not as high in terms of the squash, but, but uh, there's still, it's still sort of a, a logical, to me, it, you could make the case of it being a, a logical next step. Yeah, exactly. It's important yeah. to have a, a few things on your plate just to provide paths and give you the chance to put on different hats and see what you like at a young age and see kind of what you want to do in the future. I think that's really important. Yeah. I think from the discussions I've, I've spoken to a few uh, people uh, about this, um, Kanzi Defrawi, you might remember her. She's in Dubai now, actually. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to her about the, the same topic and some others, but what um, like in terms of making the case for those who, who feel that going straight into a professional's, uh, professional squash from a 
you know, a pretty good junior career. Can, can you see it from that perspective as well? Yeah, I can. Um, I think a lot of it is cultural as well. Um, obviously, in the U.S., it's, it's um, quite rare that people or that students or student athletes don't consider going to college. Um, I know, I, to be honest, I never considered just going pro. I actually, um, for most of my college career, I didn't think I was going to go pro either. So I feel like okay. I have a different per, uh, perspective than so that, I mean, that, that's interesting. I mean, probably through your experience playing academic squash uh, at the collegiate level, that sort of uh, led you to thinking you can play at the pro level, did it? Um, I think my experience was more personal enjoyment of the sport. And, and yeah, the collegiate uh, college squash and competing in that team environment it had, um, I guess it ha- it had re-sparked my enjoyment for the game, and and uh, I don't know. It's a different having a team environment is is something entirely different mm. than normal regular squash, and and it adds something that is actually like really special about the game. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of. I've, I've never actually being there for a live match, uh, one of the, the U.S. collegiate events. But uh, just from what I've seen online, it, it just seems like such a, an amazing experience and something like if you're a squash player as a junior, you would never have experienced before. And it's such a, you know, it can be a very lonely place playing just for yourself all the, all the time with your coaches and, and, you know, just performing for yourself. But that opens an entirely different world. And then also – Maybe, as you just said, it, it opens up the, the more joys about the game. Yeah, entirely. Yeah. Now, in, ter- in terms of, uh, you know, playing at Harvard, I mean, I, I know uh, Mike Way a little bit, and I've, I've had some coaching from him way back in the day. And uh, he's one of the, the game's uh, the legendary coaches. Uh, and you spent four years uh, there, I'm assuming, working with him. So what were some of the biggest uh, takeaways uh, for you in terms of uh, your growth as a player uh, that you took from, uh, from Mike? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Mike was a really phenomenal coach who also helped me re-spark my enjoyment. He was very big on the idea that not necessarily playing and training more is going to be beneficial. Something that was kind of a disparity from the way I grow have grown up with my dad as my coach. I think he was very much so my father was, had the idea of just training more times than not. And that's the best way to improve. And when I kind of went to college, as I mentioned earlier, like I was a bit burnt out. Sorry about that. I was a bit burnt out and then Mike helped me understand that I can take more than one day off. I could call, I don't have to come to train or like you're not required to come to training if you're 
going to be at training and just kind of sulking and unhappy the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was important for him to stress that kind of less can be more sometimes. And, and if you're doing this training and practicing for the wrong reasons by being like feeling like you are forced to be there and to train, then it's not, it's not worth it. It's not necessarily what it's about at all. So that was one of the, the key lessons I've learned from Mike, which is like has stuck with me and will continue to stick with me until I probably for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just remember my, uh, what I remember from Mike, he, he did uh, some, I played for the Nova Scotia provincial team. Uh, men's team and he came to our club and and just gave us a bit of a a session but i i do remember him he he was very blunt with me he said uh jesus he he was talking about my poor footwork in front of everybody (laughs) so so what did you uh, did uh, i think he he's sort of famous uh or infamous for for being that way at times did you ever experience uh sort of uh that that type of uh, tough love from mike yeah <laughs> i think that's another reason why i i really enjoyed his coaching he he says it exactly how it is yeah like he doesn't beat around the bush he's blunt he's honest and you know that he's he says it for the right reasons he's he's looking out for you hmm. and he wants the best for you Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that 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 was my takeaway from it as well. Yeah, that you know, maybe back then I was a bit younger, didn't really have thick skin and hadn't experienced that type of thing uh, before. But uh, uh, afterwards, I, I thought about it, and definitely, uh, that's how I took it as well. Now, uh, when you turn pro, uh, I think tw- we'll fast forward a bit. Twenty twenty nineteen seemed to be uh, the a sort of a breakout year in terms of you know, your growth as a player and your, your movement up in, in the rankings right now, you're 20, I think you're 21 in the yeah. rankings, probably maybe because you missed a couple of events there, but uh, uh, you really made an impact in 2019 and you won, I think it was three straight challenger series events. So firstly, uh, what, uh, if you, what was it that clicked for you at that time? And uh, also, I just wanted to ask you about the Challenger Series and what you feel, uh, what impact uh, the series has had uh, on the women's game and on your game. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know if it was anything that clicked or didn't click. Um, With my first year on tour, I think it was mostly a matter of like kind of level of commitment and kind of building self-confidence and just kind of putting in more effort than I had in the past. Um, In college, I would play the college season and most times I would then be kind of on and off training afterwards. Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't have my mindset on competing professionally so there was always that like well I don't the season's over I don't need to train and stuff like that so I think when I had committed to playing professionally and I enjoyed it more um it if you're passionate about something your level of commitment and 
effort just automatically increases. And when you're seeing rewards as well, that motivates you even more. So I think um, kind of just like committing to the pro-life, I did inherently feel more motivated to practice for myself, commit to playing. I had more enjoyment. So it was like, it felt less like a job and more just kind of for my own personal enjoyment and something that I wanted to do myself. So I, I think it was just a, a kind of a mindset switch um, rather, I guess, I guess in a way that is clicking, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I moved to Egypt. I was also in an environment where squash was everybody's priority. It was everybody's, Daily. Oh, so much talent uh, there as well, isn't it? Exactly. Like, and again, there it, it feels less like a job because you go to a club and there's pe- kids, adults, pros, coaches. There's like a hundred people in one place all playing squash. So you're like, all right, this sounds just like summer camp or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> And if we could only uh, if we could only have it that way everywhere, you know. I know, right? It would be that would be the the real key to get the exposure out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, I, what do you I've, think about the the Challenger series? I know I've spoken to Danielle uh, Letourneau, and she she had a success like you. Uh, on the Challenger series, as well as a few others. So, did that uh, initiative? Uh, uh, sort of did you did you do you feel the PSA got it right with uh, putting together that that series um I to be honest so the challenger series I was always a kind of a bit confused as to mm-hmm. what what that was um yeah. I think Me I too. won like, some <laughs> challengers event and I was like or like some award for it and I to be quite honest, I wasn't even sure what that meant. Um, I was just playing these tournaments because that's the tournaments that I were getting into. Um, I didn't really focus on whether it was what level or stuff like that. I was just kind of like, all right, this is the tournament that I'm, I'm in. It's convenient to travel to. I'm going to go play it. And that was about it. Right. Yeah. So, I don't really know. I didn't really, I mean, I guess it's for, you know, maybe, maybe the higher ranked players don't necessarily play in it, but uh, I mean, I didn't really get it uh, either in terms of, you know, who would play in it and who would choose not to play in it. But Yeah. Hmm. So I apologize if I can't provide a better answer. No, no, that I mean, that, that's a perfect answer. I mean, uh, maybe others feel this are, are in the same boat as you. They just play in it because of the, the convenience of it and it's a tournament that's on the calendar so you uh mm-hmm. you decide oh i'll play in that one yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah, yeah. i try to but keep you, things as simple as i can <laughs> no exactly yeah you don't have to overcomplicate it uh, exactly yeah. uh but you you i mean uh on the regular tour i guess or just is in the tournaments that you've been playing uh you've had really sort of pr- every time i've seen you play regardless of who it is 
in, in the level of that player, how highly, highly they are ranked. I mean, you've been, you've had some really promising results. Uh, you've played well against uh, just about everybody. You, you had, I think you had a bit of a tough time against Nor El Sherbini, but even, you know, took her to 14, 12 in one, uh, uh, one game. Uh, but you've played well against SJ, Camille and, and uh, others in the top 10. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously you're not that far off uh, that level uh, in my estimation. So what do you think uh, you need to do uh, to get winning results there? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate you. Those are kind words about my game, but uh, I think a lot, a lot of um, where my, I guess my struggles come from in my game is kind of like the, the lack of belief that I'm actually up there with these players. I know, especially starting out in the beginning of the tour and stuff, if I maybe were like, level leveling in a game with one of the higher ranked players I would I don't know I, in my mind I'd be like how is this happening like they must be playing badly or like I don't know this is pure luck like I didn't if I was like if I maybe had game ball or something I didn't have that that like switch where I was like okay like I can actually win this it was more like I was just kind of in like a little state of shock almost. Um, so I think that is something I still need to work on as well. Just kind of overall gaining more confidence in my ability and my level. And um, so when like competing, it doesn't come as a shock and I can actually kind of remain focused and stay in my, my own head and in my abilities and focus on like, my own skills to, um, I don't know, to help me win, I guess, in that sense. Um, also, I think like consistency and training is a big part. Um, it's hard, especially nowadays with like inconsistencies in tournaments and uncertainties if events are happening and like little injuries even at the moment because of this like nonstop starting training not training like doing other fitness stuff like stuff like that I think that is a big key factor in um like the the top pros and maybe like that ranking around 20s um just kind of knowing like even personally like just do I want to commit to this because this is something I'm passionate about or do I want to like is is this like a long-term career I'm still trying to figure that that one out too and I think that would help me with my consistency in training and my motivation for long-term training. Yeah. You Um, want that, don't you? In terms of commitment, right? If you want, if you know, this is right. Uh. Exactly. Right. Like you want to be able to be like, okay, I'm all in because I'm going to put in the effort. And this is something I want. I see myself doing for a few years, at least. Um, I think when I started the pro circuit, I was like, all right, one or two years, and then we'll see how it goes. And I'm still kind of in that period where um, I'm not like too committed, but some days I'm more committed than others. And, you know, I feel like that's a a case with a a good amount of pros these these days as well, just because of the the mental strain that COVID has caused a lot of us. Yeah. Um, 
we're sometimes just starting to doubt ourselves in the PSA tour of like, is this sustainable? Can I make a living off of this? Um, is it worth the grind and the pain of the, the physical pain and like the, the, I don't know, the risk of getting to a tournament and being drawn the number one seed um, like more times than not and stuff like that. Um, Cause a lot of it is chance, right? Like you, mm. you pray for a good draw or you, you know, like uh. stuff like that. You pray that you, you get to a tournament safely and your the jet lag doesn't like kick your butt. Like yeah. it's a lot of un, invariable factors and unpredictable factors that go into this, this career that I don't think many people like give athletes credit for. Yeah. Spat, like, uh, yeah. Completely uh, sympathize with you there. I mean, especially if you're having to travel across the world to play your squash now. I mean, yeah. you've got a, you got this long flight, who knows what, you know, exactly. what, what's going to happen when you land and then you're jet lagged and uh, yeah, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be a tricky one. Yeah. Traveling is hard enough on it is. And then we're ex expected to like feel fresh as a daisy in like 24 hours and start playing squash and competing and stuff like that. And it's just, it could be really, really brutal sometimes. I was so pleased to have, like, I'm playing a tournament at the end of the month. And then of course the world championships next month. Like I was, I'm so pleased that it's, it's in the States. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the past few times I've traveled to Egypt, I've just like, my body, because I guess we're traveling so much less now, like my body really, really struggled with the jet lag and like the dehydration and you have to wear a mask the entire flight now. And that obviously like, like messes up our bodily functions in weird ways because we've never had to deal with this before and stuff like that. So. Yeah. And you don't have the freedoms that you used to have either just to get up exactly. and, you know, when you, you know, it's gotta be tricky, but uh, you'll be playing. Are you going to be playing in Manchester as well? Then is that? Uh... Um, I'm. I hope so. Yeah. I'm still again doubtful. I mean, that it might might happen or might not. <laughs> yeah. Right now, the UK is uh, a, a lot like Canada. They, they don't yeah. know whether they're coming or going. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm. Um, I'm. I haven't even thought about Manchester yet. I. <laughs> but I those are the two events that you you have uh, on the calendar. Um, no, the the one at the end of the month is um, in D.C., actually. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good. Close yeah, I'm home. so happy to, oh. to hear that. I like D.C., and I could take a train, so. <laughs> but, no I mean, uh, watching you uh, in in the last event in Egypt, I mean, you played, I thought you played really tremendous squash, and you. I, I think you summed it up pretty well there just in terms of, like, when I watch you play, and you're playing really – you're, you're playing and you're on a hot streak. I mean, there, it's just, it looks like you, you, you're really, you're right there with all those guys. And then, like you said, some, maybe it's a little bit of self, uh, you know, you, you lose a bit of self-belief or, or something, and then uh, you give it away against the top players. But, uh, you know, I don't think you're that far off. So thank you. Appreciate yeah. That. Now, uh, I was just going to before you go, uh, Sabrina. The um, the nick your nickname. Uh, uh, I'm not sure uh, where where does that come from. My nickname beans. of beans. beans. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, oh, I know nice. Joe. Joey did. Joey Barrington. He didn't. He didn't make that. It was Amanda, or no, it's um, a family thing, right? It has. It started as a family thing. Um, my, I guess my nickname growing up was when I was like a very small child was Bina, as coming from Sabrina. Okay. So I guess it evolved from that, and uh, it evolved to beans. It takes forms of like beansy, I don't know, beanie, like all these weird ones. And it, it okay. started out as just a family thing. And then it turned into a squash thing and then kind of turned into an every, <laughs> every person I'm introduced as beans. Like people are like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just my more so my name than Sabrina is nowadays. Right on. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a cool uh, nickname. I think they give, um, Amanda, they call her Lefty. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that that that's what uh, that's what I heard in the last event. I think they've got a they, you've probably got a better one than that though, don't you? Lefty. I hope Beans is better than Lefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Beans is that. I'm, I'm just saying that your your nickname for her, uh, if you've ever give, uh, you know, afforded her one, might might be slightly more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Um, I call Amanda Mandy. Mandy, yeah, okay. Uh, Barry Manila. Yeah. I like that. I like nicknames. I think they're yeah. important to have. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Sabrina, I just want to say I uh, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today and uh, appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast. And I really enjoy, as I said, uh, your game. And uh, keep up the good fight because you're right there. And Thank all the you. best in the next few events. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm pleased we made this time work and it was, it was really lovely to chat with you as well and to, to uh, be pushed to re revisit some, some challenging questions and some thought provoking questions that are important. So I pre I appreciate that. Well, many thanks to Sabrina for that. That was fantastic. And we want to wish her all the best uh, in the events coming up. Uh, we've got, as she mentioned, a few events uh, upcoming. And she uh, no doubt will pick up where she left off playing some really inspiring squash. Uh, I think every time she plays uh, these events at the highest level, we've seen her improve. And she's come, uh, you know, she's beaten some very good players. And she's come close to uh, beating the best in the game and giving them, uh, you know, uh, a bit, a few fits out there on the court, and now I'm, I'm sure she's going to want to take that to another level and bring herself and put herself in that equation. She's not that far off as we uh, talked about uh, today. So all the best to Sabrina in the events coming up, and uh, for you, I just want to say thanks to everybody. We've got a big episode uh, in the not too distant future, episode 200. We're at 195 today, 196 next week. Uh, with any luck, Laura Macero, she's going to come on uh, to talk about her new book and then we've got a few more between now and 200 and the 200th episode i believe we firmed up a guest i don't want to give anything away just yet but uh, it'll be a good one and looking forward to that but it's all thanks to you thanks everybody for listening and for sharing and it's been a great ride up to 200
200, and hopefully we'll keep it going. Uh, squash is trying to get back on track, and that's what we're trying to do here with the podcast to keep the word, uh, keep the word of squash going, spreading the word, enjoying ourselves on court, off the court, uh, enjoying this great game. So, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, again, Laura Macero coming up uh, next week with any luck, and uh, episode 200. Uh, you'll want to stay tuned for that one as well. So, thanks for listening. Take care. All the best with your squash, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye now.